This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. Sleep is when your body and brain recover, increases your performance, it helps you maintain your weight, it helps with health. Sleeping every night is like taking a pill for your blood pressure, right? It will help your cardiovascular health, it helps regulate your heartbeat. There's almost nothing that isn't improved with regular sleep. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson. We're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to talk about the natural treatment of hemorrhoids. Also, we'll discuss genius recipes. And then we'll find out about the importance of sleep. Lastly, we'll learn about the top breakfast hacks. But first, a bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel wrote a fantastic article in the November issue of Tonic about a subject that doesn't get discussed a lot, the natural treatment of hemorrhoids. But here he is today to give us the straight poop. I'm sorry. I had to do that. I'm, I'm bad. I'm purient. I'm a child. How are you? I'm happy as always to be here, sir. So they're known as piles or hemorrhoids or whatever else you want to call them. What are they? Well, simply stated, they're the thing no one wants to talk about. Yeah, no, Absolutely no I one know. does. I know. But hemorrhoid cushions or hemorrhoidal cushions are a vital part of your anatomy. And everyone's, of course. Yep. They help. They're like opinions. Everyone has one. <laughs> sorry. Okay. <laughs> They help keep stool in and control incontinence, which is important. So it's part of the sphincter muscles, right? Loosely speaking, yes. Okay. Hemorrhoids themselves are a condition that happen when veins or blood vessels in and around your anus and lower rectum become swollen and irritated. Hemorrhoids, remember, are very common. The statistics are nearly three-quarters of all adults will have them from time to time. So even if no one's talking about them... They know about them. Yep. So what are typical symptoms of hemorrhoids? Well, the symptoms typically are pain, bleeding during bowel movements. Uh, You can notice red blotches on the tissue afterwards. Yeah, it's distressing, right? Like here's the the strange thing. If you cut yourself, uh, you see blood, right? And if you were to blot it with a Kleenex or something, you know, it kind of spreads out. Mm -hmm. When, when, When you see blood in the bowl... It kind of freaks you out. It's really not that much, but normally it's, not. But it, but it seems like you know, it's you're losing, you know, you're hemorrhaging. You're, you're, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's people awful. panic. Yeah, exactly. So that's one thing. Another one is itching or irritation in the anal region. Yep. Pain or discomfort, which people notice. Yep. Swelling, 
And a weird one is a lump near your anus that may be sensitive, may be painful, but may not. Right. And the symptoms are actually quite dependent on which type of hemorrhoids you actually have. I didn't know there were different kinds. Yep, there are three different kinds. One is called internal. It's where it's inside your anus. Right. The second one is external, where it's under the skin around your anus. And the third is called thrombosed. And that is when there's a clotting in an external hemorrhoid. Okay, so let's start with the internal one. My guess is the symptoms would be the bleeding part. Is that right? Correct. And they're usually painless. Right. Okay. Just bleeding so people freak. But be- Because you don't know why you're bleeding. Correct. And it's not an area you want to be bleeding in. No, that's true. <laughs> well, I mean, we really don't want to be bleeding from anywhere. But yeah, that's a, that's a distressing one for sure. Yes. The next one is with external hemorrhoids, they can be itchy and painful. And here, sometimes they crack. And when they crack, they bleed and they're much more painful. Right. Itchy bumitis, I call it. And, okay. And, okay. You know, and, that, and that's how they start. A lot of them start that way. And then, you know, if, if they're not treated, then they become more painful as Correct. there's more chafing. Correct. Right? Now, thrombosed hemorrhoids are, are the worst from a sensory perspective. They result in severe pain, swelling, inflammation, and a hard lump near your anus, which any contact with that causes serious pain. Right. So those are the ones that are most distressing. Okay. And, and why do people get them? Well, there's, there's a bunch of reasons. The most common reason, actually, is having a family history. The problem is because most likely your family hasn't spoken to you about it because yeah. people don't like talking about it. We never had it. that sit down. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't know you have a family history, but that's the most telling reason you would have it. I did not even know that was a thing. Yep. Okay. Definitely. Uh, then there's constipation. When people are constipated, they strain to push, and that pushing puts a stress on that area of your body, and after a while, it becomes inflamed, painful, and it leads to everything else. Right. And the vast majority of us are constipated on a regular basis. The vast majority of I us. I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, sitting too much. So just the fact that all of us now sit and stare at screens, most of us do it for a good part of our day, mm-hmm. and then we get home from work and we continue to do it. Right. Sitting actually puts a pressure on that area that after a while can cause inflammation, which leads to the rest of it. Does dehydration have anything to do with it, like exercise? Yes, it does, but in an indirect sort of way because exercise and enough hydration actually improves the water in your stool, making it softer, easier to pass, so you have less chance or less frequency of constipation. I find if I'm ramping up the exercise, but I'm not hydrating properly, and the key is not hydrating properly, that's when it strikes. Yep. Yeah, entirely possible. But it's the two put together, the exercise and the proper hydration. That are good. I understand. That's your best defense. Gotcha. Another one, and this one struck me, I didn't think about this until I started reading about it, is actually spending too much time in the toilet. Nowadays, it's, it sounds a little weird, yeah. but nowadays you find a lot of people whereby it used to be they excuse themselves, go to the bathroom, and literally two minutes later you hear the yeah. washing of the hands and they come down. Now, because we all have screens with us that yes. are connected, people sit down and they actually lose track of time. And you can have people 20, 25 minutes are sitting there. Yeah. 
Your body's not designed to do that. I know. Your legs your legs fall asleep. Yep. I, I'm speaking in first person now. Maybe you're... Do- maybe. I'm just saying maybe. Maybe you're doing a crossword puzzle. Maybe you're answering your emails. Yep. I couldn't say. Maybe it's the only quiet part of the house, Joel. I, you know. Oh, there are various reasons why people maybe do it. Maybe you're hiding from your wife. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. So you're in the bathroom. But uh, you're right. I mean... It's an unnatural position to be in for an extended period of time, and sitting that way actually causes a stress beyond the normal stress. Another one, and this one does make sense, is waiting too long to go to the bathroom. Again, you're in a business meeting, or you've got to get somewhere really fast, so you, you forego going even though you have the inkling to. After a while, that puts an undue stress, and you... You pay for it later. You you learn your lesson. You do. Being overweight, that one just makes sense. Being overweight causes an increased stress on everything. That's just one of them. Mm -hmm. And the last contributor is pregnancy. Most pregnant women have issues going to the bathroom, and the increased pushing, the increased stress causes issues. Hmm. All right. So now we know what they are and how we get them. How do we not get them? How do we prevent getting hemorrhoids well loosely put you keep saying no pun that. intended you keep saying that joel <laughs> loosely put all of the strategies to preventing hemorrhoids is to help you pass poop regularly and easily okay if you can do that the odds of you getting it are severely reduced good news so the first one is a healthy diet mm-hmm. as with everything else a healthy diet helps lots of fiber yes but more than that oh yeah okay. you want to have a varied diet Completely varied. Lots of fiber, yes, from various sources. Obviously, the fresh fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, definitely. But on top of that, you actually want to have lean proteins. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be low in that because that causes other issues which lead to constipation, etc. Right. Another thing, when you're talking about the fiber, you want to be careful to have both types. They're soluble and insoluble. Okay. You don't want to go heavy on one without the other because while insoluble fiber will help you actually poop. Yes. So will soluble fiber. Soluble fiber absorbs moisture from your digestive tract and helps you poop with moisture, whereby insoluble fiber is the roughage and it pushes things through. They work in tandem together. And the amount of fiber is also important. Experts say that women should aim for a bare minimum of 25 grams combined fibers a day, where men should get a bare minimum of 38 grams. But here's the big one. Experts actually say those are the bare minimums. We should actually aim to double that, hmm. which would be women at 50 grams and men at 76. So what what sorts of foods would you recommend that are high in fiber, both soluble and insoluble? Normally, you're talking your green, leafy vegetables. Kale. Yep. yep. Kale, that. Lettuce, not so much. Right. But the other ones that are nutrient-dense. Right. And then you're talking your fresh fruit and vegetables. I, I know it sounds... Old-fashioned, but I was brought up, if you're eating anything, snack, meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, it doesn't matter, there's always supposed to be a vegetable there. Right. Always. And don't bother cooking them if you don't have to. Raw is better. Yeah, that makes sense. And in addition to the fiber, you're also getting a ton of nutrients. Yeah, of course. So, so. It's, it's the all, best it's, of all worlds. It's all good. And the big thing is don't have it just once a day. Like There are many people out there who... They, they, they aim to get their fruits and vegetables, and they'll go for one meal where they really go heavy into it. Right. Your body's not designed for that. Your body's designed to get them throughout the day in, in bursts, not to get one huge amount 
and nothing the rest of the day. Right. So if you're saving all your vegetables for dinner, you're not helping matters. But you know, you can get you can get fiber from other sources. Like I have oatmeal virtually every day for breakfast, yep. and that's a good one. That's right? a wonderful one. Uh, I personally love uh, the old Red River, which is the flax-based cereal. Yeah, yeah. Big fan of that in the winter. Right. But at the same time, realistically, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get enough fiber just from food. Okay. You do need to supplement. All right. I'm guessing that hydration is a big one. Hydration is a huge one because it prevents constipation. And hydration at the same time does your body good in 100,000 other ways as well. Right. So it's one of those things you can't lose. Just remember, hydrate with the best thing on the planet, pure, clean water. And you mentioned exercise before, right? So you don't mean there are specific exercises, but rather the act of participating in an exercise is just going to help you with this, correct? Correct. Exercise has been clinically proven to improve bowel health and improve regularity. And they don't mean just any specific exercise. Right. Exercise just in general, getting the blood pumping. Yeah, get- we're, not, we're not recommending squats. That's not, <laughs> that's not the issue. Although but, if you like them, I'm yeah, not going to exactly. say no. The point is to get up off your bum and go do something, like even going for a walk really, right? Definitely. Anything. But again, don't do one burst at just one time of the day. Try and get throughout the day. Good. Pedometers are your friend. Yep. No question. What else What else helps prevent hemorrhoids? Again, one of the big things is making sure you move. With those are actually the use of laxatives. Now, mm-hmm. I personally don't recommend them in most cases. Yeah, I, I don't really. Because some of them can be habit-forming. Yep. But if you're someone who just needs that little extra push, Yep. Take a little bit. You t- you can talk your flax, your hemp seeds. Dried fruit. Dried fruit, yep. Or you could also do psyllium. But just remember, no matter which one you do or what combo you do, take more water than is recommended with them because if you don't have enough fluids in you, they could have the reverse effect and actually cause the problem to get worse. Okay. So what if you get them? Is there anything we can do? What natural treatments would you recommend? Well, if you unfortunately do get them, you're one of the three quarters, there are some things you can do to relieve this discomfort. Soak in a, in a warm bath. They're called sits baths yep. for about 10 to 15 minutes. Avoid them being very hot. That's one mistake a lot of people do is they make a really hot bath because they're concerned yeah. if they're going to be in it for 10 to 15 minutes, it's going to get cool and they're going to freeze. Yelp. Yeah, that just can make things much worse. Yeah. So lukewarm is your friend. Uh, wash the affected area very, I repeat the word, very gently with moist, unscented towelettes. And the reason you want to do unscented, the scent that they normally add are chemicals that could irritate. <laughs> so which, unscented. Which makes no sense, but yes. Agreed. Uh, avoid wearing tight clothing as it can cause pressing on that part of your body, just cause more pain. Yep. Avoid sitting for long periods of time. But you can you can get something like a blow up thing, to, a blow up ring to sit on, right? If it's really bad, or you can, but at the same time, you're still sitting down on that area, which is still putting your blood to that pooling in that area, which is right. still going to make it worse. It may not be as bad as if you were sitting directly on it, but it's still going to make it worse. Purchase a, a stool for your to go around your toilet. Uh, it raises your legs up, and it makes that a more natural position. Makes it a little easier to go to the bathroom. Uh, use ice packs to uh, alleviate swelling. Again, don't go drastic. It's going to hurt. And as a last resort, there are over-the-counter creams, some of which are natural to help. And those are numbing creams? Yes and no. Some are numbing and some actually do treat. 
Right. The, the hemorrhoids themselves. I've used, I've used EMLA for that before on an emergency basis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're in favor of that or not. I don't know enough about it to comment, to be honest. Okay. So, you know, you're the expert on natural remedies. Yep. So aside from these pain alleviators and, and, you know, common sense approaches, what products are available that are natural that you might recommend? Unfortunately, it's not an exhaustively large list, right. but there is a list. One is an, an ingredient called pygnogenol. And what that is, is actually an extract from maritime pine bark. They've done clinical trials and found that taking the capsules of it internally and using an external cream on the affected area actually helps reduce them and prevent them. Mm-hmm. Uh, horse chestnut, which is a herb, is highly anti-inflammatory that can help manage the burning symptoms. Witch hazel, as a kid, I remember yeah. witch hazel water. Yeah. It works. Everybody should have witch hazel in their house. There's so many uses for it. It's like ginger. Everyone should have some in their house at all times. And the last one is something called cypress essential oil. Okay, what's that? And it's not necessarily from cypress. It's the actual plant called cypress. Which is a coniferous tree, I believe. I believe you're correct. And it stops excessive blood flow from reaching areas where you when you rub it in. So what you do is you dilute cypress essential oil. Please dilute it. Do not use it straight. And rub it into that area gently, and it'll reduce the amount of blood, which will bring down the swelling and help it heal a little faster. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming in today with all your great advice. Thank you. Always a pleasure. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn all about genius recipes on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back to The Tonic. 
In addition to being a lawyer and a mother of three teenagers, actually, they're not even teenagers. One of them's in their 20s. My next guest is also the immensely popular cookbook reviewer for Tonic Magazine, my wife, Naomi. Hi, honey. Hi. So today we're talking about like evil masterminds and geniuses in the kitchen. This is all about food hacks and extra specially good recipes, right? Yes. You can't see us rubbing our hands together. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're starting with is actually a new book that's come out, right? Which is Genius Desserts. Yes. So let's start there. What, What is this all about? So Genius Desserts is the newest book that's come out of the Genius Recipes series. This was a weekly column that started in 2011, and then it led to the Genius Recipes book in 2015, and then now Genius Desserts in 2018. Obviously, it's focused on desserts. So the idea is it's a collection of recipes from experts, various experts. So it's like a curated collection of everybody's best recipes, so that if you want to know the best chocolate cake or chocolate tart or apple pie or ginger cookies or whatever it is, you can find it here. That's the idea. I think this is extremely helpful because, you know, people don't necessarily gravitate to cookbooks anymore. What they do is if they want to make something, they'll just say they want to make apple pie, they'll Google apple pie. So what pops up when you do a Google search is, you know, six recipes for apple pie. And how are they ranked? Well, it may be however many hits or how popular the recipe is. But at the end of the day, you really don't know if it's a good recipe because you don't know, you're trusting complete strangers and you don't know what their skill set is and you don't know whether or not you should trust their taste or, you know, there's there's no real expertise there. It's just sort of cooking by democracy. And if you actually care about cooking, you don't want to waste your time with nonsense recipes. I think it's actually helpful to find a really good recipe that you can stick with. Absolutely. What I like about this when I was looking into what makes a genius recipe is so this is produced by food 52 which is a website which is a food community website so the person who edited these recipes went you know talked to all these people in the industry has got all these famous recipes some of them are old some of them are new um from all these you know all these well-known food writers right and then tested them over and over again so they got their community of food 52 people to volunteer and test the recipes. Sometimes I find that a great chef can put out a, a recipe and then it just doesn't work for the home cook because maybe they haven't, you know... It's chefy. It's, it's chef- chefy. It's too difficult or um, the proportions are off like it works in the restaurant when you're making it for 40 but not for two. So the fact that people home tested it for the Food 52, I think really makes a difference so that you know that the recipes have been really tested and they and they work. Right. And the other issue sometimes with chef recipes is they're not necessarily writers or they're collaborating with somebody who isn't a clear writer. So the recipes may work, but they're not being communicated in a way that's helpful for somebody who's at home. And you don't necessarily find out if you need a requisite skill level. So, that, you know, like recipes have to be workable. You have to be able to use them. Otherwise, they're useless. Yeah, an editor is very important. When it, whenever there's a collection of recipes from a bunch of different people, the editor is very important. And I, I have found that in other cookbooks, they don't necessarily work as well, but these do. And so I was looking at, so why, why do they say that these recipes are genius? Right. The one, number one thing was that they have to taste very, very good, which well, is good. Well, that's important. That is important. That is, that's a good starting yes. point. Yeah. Number two, they have to solve problems. So... If you, you want to make that? ice, if you want to make ice cream, but you don't have an ice cream maker, what do you do? 
oh, well, here's no... You go out and you buy ice cream. Yes. That's always an option. That's plan B. There's there's a number of no-churn ice cream recipes. Easy, right? Or you don't have a candy thermometer. What do you do? Does that mean you can't make the recipe? No, you can. Here's the option. They must be super easy, but if they aren't, they have to be worth it, right? So Okay, good. So, yeah, because sometimes... Things you're actually going to make. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to want to spend two hours you know, with a recipe that has 10 steps, there's got to be a payoff, right? Yeah. And so a number of the recipes have like three ingredient cookies or, you know, like very simple. And then some of them are more complicated and that's fine, but they tell you up front, this one is a bit more complicated, but it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they surprise us. I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Like there's saltine cracker pie crust or how you can make whipped cream and have it stay for a week. Usually whipped cream doesn't really right, stay. Right, doesn't from, stabilize. Yeah, so tricks like that. And then the last one was they innovate and move baking forward. Something different, like there's cacio e pepe shortbread. What? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't tried that one yet, but there's actually cheese and pepper in it, but it's uh, on the edge of savory So a savory shortbread, yeah. No, but it's dessert that's a little bit savory as opposed to a main course that isn't savory. Got it. So with that criteria, what recipes impressed you? So I made a vegan chocolate birthday cake with super fluffy frosting. Now that just sounds good, except maybe the vegan part because people may be a little I was, suspicious. I was that. skeptical. You were skeptical of the vegan cake. I needed a cake that had no dairy. I didn't need it to be vegan, but then I thought, well, why not? And this was an extremely moist and chocolatey layer cake. It was. It was very rich, actually. It was. The difference is between that and other chocolate cakes is that there was pureed avocado in the cake. And I think that, so the cake was made with, um, you know, no eggs, obviously, or or milk. And it's a riff on something that used to be called a crazy cake back in like World War II when there was shortages of eggs and butter and milk. They created a way to make cakes using vinegar instead. And those are good, but they're not as good as regular cake. Somehow you put the avocados in and it made a very moist cake. People were surprised that it was a vegan cake. I mean, you know, everybody has their opinion on veganism, but I think if you hadn't told them, they wouldn't have realized that it was. Right. I know. And I probably shouldn't have told them, but I just, I thought... Now you were taunting them. I was taunting them. And this is, it's certainly not a vegan cookbook, but I wanted to try that recipe. Anything else that impressed you? I also made the world peace cookies because, you know, why not? Exactly. This is In a, these troubled times, exactly. if, if cookies can bring us together. And this is a famous recipe from a baker called Dory Greenspan. And truthfully, I already have that recipe in another of her cookbooks, but I saw it here and I thought, okay, so I made it into the Genius Recipes and I heard about it. Why not try it? Mm-hmm. And these are these chocolate shortbread cookies, which were... Of course, just as delicious as yeah, you might no, think. They just were chocolatey good. and yep. and tender shortbreads, and you know, definitely. I don't know if they would achieve world peace, but they were worthy of being in the cookbook. I would say. So, do you have any genius tips yourself? I mean, you're kind of a kitchen genius. I I, I can work my way around the kitchen. What are your, what are some of your ideas? We're both geniuses. I would say yes. I definitely have tips. Always double the salt in baking. Yes, at, at least. I mean, taste it, but always double the salt and the vanilla. I was doing that anyways, and then I read it in a cookbook, and I thought, yeah, that's right. Because whatever, if it says half a teaspoon, I put in a teaspoon. If it says a teaspoon, I put in two teaspoons, because salt is one of the most critical things yeah, I agree. Um, to improve your baking. When people say my baking tastes good, that's because I have more salt in it. And salt is chocolate's good friend. Exactly. 
Okay, I've got one. So I make biscuits. I hate the word biscuit, but I do make them. Mm-hmm. And it calls for cold butter. What I do is I put the butter in the freezer the night before. And when you have to get the butter nice and small, instead of cutting it, which creates friction heat, I use a box grater and I get the butter very small. So you don't have to manipulate it and it stays cold while you're adding the other ingredients, which is crucial for a good biscuit. Yes. Another tip, if you haven't thought about doing that in advance, is you can always keep some butter in the freezer. That way, if you decide you want to do some cooking or you think you might be doing some cooking, like making a pie crust, it's already there and you don't need to worry about it. What about sugar in recipes? What do you think about that? I pretty much always reduce the sugar in recipes. You can't just reduce it you know, by three quarters without changing some other things. Or, or removing it. Or removing it. But you can change. So if a recipe calls for a cup of sugar, you can probably use a half a cup and, or two-thirds of a cup. I find that with uh, so much baking, they call for two cups of sugar or something like that in a cake, and that's crazy sweet. My desserts are still sweet, but I would almost always reduce the sugar. I think as we're getting older, though, like I think it was everybody gets older. Kids love sugar, but you get older, you can only stomach so much sugar in whatever dessert, right? Like, I mean, you lose your taste for sugar. And I guess it's good to know that you don't necessarily have to put all that sugar in. I've got I've got another food hack, but this mm-hmm. isn't baking related. This has to do with grilling uh, and roasting meats. And that is this. If you're working from a recipe and it says, you know, X uh, temperature for this many hours or minutes, presume they are talking about a meat that is at room temperature. And it's okay to bring your meat out of the fridge when you're prepping it for cooking. Like if, you, if, it's, if it's inevitable that you're going to be putting it into the oven, get it to room temperature. Okay, so we only have time for a little bit more. What was the best recipe that they tested in this genius recipes? I'm curious. Well, I thought it was very funny. At the beginning of the book, they talk about the testers' favorite recipes, and right. that was the brown butter Rice crispy treats. So marshmallow uh, treats. Marshmallow treats. That was everybody's favorite recipe. You know, they said, uh, you know, look look at page 41 to find, you know, the everybody's favorite. And I thought it was going to be this fancy, there's a chocolate caramel tart, which was one of the more difficult recipes, or chocolate truffle tart. Instead, it was the marshmallow treats from Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. So I haven't tried it yet, but that was the favorite. Well, I guess we're going to have to get on that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. We'll see you next month. We've got to take a short break, but we will be right back on The Tonic. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24-hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. Getting life insurance for type 2 diabetics can be a confusing and frustrating experience. Many type 2 diabetics buy life insurance products that are either way too expensive or take too long to buy. Most type 2 diabetics are surprised how affordable life insurance is. For example, a 55-year-old type 2 diabetic can get $250,000 of life insurance for only $86 a month. 
Remember, your information and quotes are completely confidential and there's no obligation to buy. So if you're a type 2 diabetic, take your best first step in buying life insurance by going to typetrue.ca. That's T-Y-P-E-T-R-U-E dot C-A. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Kathleen Trotter, is a fitness expert, nutritionist, life coach, monthly guest on BT Montreal and Rogers Ottawa, and the author of the book, Finding Your Fit. Welcome back to the show. Ah, it's my pleasure. So we often talk about uh, the everyday things that people can do to improve their health, eating right, exercise. But one thing that's frequently overlooked is sleep. Well, and I'm going to say that this whole segment is a lecture from Kathleen to Kathleen because about six months ago, I decided that I do so many things well and I suck at sleeping regularly. Like, enough. Sleeping should be a no-brainer, right? It should be a non-negotiable. And I make exercise a non-negotiable, eating well, drinking water. And then I was like, Kathleen... You know, a lot of times people underestimate the unhealthy choices they make and overestimate the healthy choices. Right. So I think... I I know. I know I was doing that with sleep. And so about six months ago, I was like, I'm going to start recording my sleep. And you know what? I was not getting enough consistent sleep. So I am changing that. And I've been reading tons on sleep. And I've been really trying to prioritize it. And I feel like... different person. I really do. Well, you know, it's a third of our lives, or it should be about a third of our lives. Uh, For a lot of people, it isn't. I must admit, I average maybe six hours a night, and that is not what it's supposed to be for a person my age. It should be seven, uh, at least, and I don't get there. But I find that people have different energies. So I think we should be clear that people function in different ways, There is a certain amount, baseline, healthy amount of sleep, and we should always be striving for more, but some people just naturally do need less. Absolutely. People need less, but I think that one of the points that I just read a a great resource by um, Chris Winter, um, The Sleep Solution, and basically he makes the point, so does Adrienne Huffington in all of her interviews and books, that this lack of sleep and this sort of feeling of sluggishness has become this new normal. It's like, well, it's just a norm of adulting that nobody gets enough sleep. And it's almost like a badge of honor to not get quite enough sleep because that means you're so busy. And then people who do prioritize sleep are often seen as a little bit lazy, not as productive. And really, it is the opposite. And sleep should be considered this, like the Swiss army knife of health is the hidden brain podcast, that's what they call it. And I love that idea because it really has a compounding effect on everything. Like the no, more you true. sleep, your immune system is improved. Sleep is when your body and brain recover. Uh, it increases your performance. It helps you maintain your weight. It helps with health. Sleeping every night is like taking a pill for your blood pressure, right? Like it will help your cardiovascular health. It brings down, it helps regulate your heartbeat. It, right. It's every, like there's almost nothing that isn't improved with regular sleep. So yes, you're correct. Different people need different amounts. 
amount for sure. But I think that I'm the perfect example of somebody who thought I was getting enough sleep. And if you'd asked me three months ago, do you sleep enough? I would be, oh yeah, I mean, there's some nights I don't, but mostly I do. And I'd gotten used to being chronically exhausted. And it was just my new normal. And I just have a cup of coffee. And it's so not how it should be. You know, there'll be well, some how, nights how, how long? How much sleep were you getting when you were off the rails? Well, off the rails, it just wasn't consistent. And that's everything that I've read. That's one of the things that they say. It's the consistency that matters. It's having a, a pattern. You know, you go to bed and you wake up roughly the same time right. every so, day. So what were you doing? So I was some nights I was going to bed at midnight and getting up at five. Right. And then some nights on the weekend, I'd be going to bed at 10 and getting up at six, which is like what you should get. And I'd feel be like, well, that was a great night's sleep. I'm sure I made up for the bad nights. And now the bad nights are really my anomaly. Like every once in a while, my sleep journal tells me, okay, because I was traveling for work, I did have a short amount of sleep. Right. But for the most part, you know, like 14 out of 15 days, maybe even more, like 19 out of 20, I am getting, I'm going to bed every night, sort of between 9 and 10.30. Right. And I'm waking up every morning between 5 and 6.30. So it's like very consistent. And it's, you know, even on the weekends, I make myself do it because otherwise I wake up on the Monday and it's hard to get back into waking up early. Yeah. So wanting to sleep and actually getting to sleep are two very different animals, right? Yes. So how do I get more sleep Hmm. as opposed to just hoping to get more sleep? Well, I love that you say the word hoping because with most things to do with health, we wish for better health. You know, we're like, oh, we're going to start exercising or I'm going to eat better. Well, we're all about aspirations. Yeah, but you have to make goals, not wishes. And that's just like with sleep, just with exercise, you have to set yourself up for success. So a good night's sleep starts in the morning, which means getting up at a consistent time every day. And then it continues throughout the day. So have a time when you're going to stop drinking coffee, because if you're drinking coffee till eight o'clock at night, it's going to be harder to fall asleep. And you're talking about tea as well. You're talking about caffeine. caffeine. For sure. Stimulants of any type. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then have a time that you want to be asleep and then set an alarm you know, half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, whatever you need before that time. Because that's part of the problem, right? It becomes 11 o'clock and you're like, oh, I should be asleep right now. And then you need an hour to get ready for bed. So you need to, you know, if you want to be asleep by 11, you set your alarm for 10 o'clock or 10.30 or 9.30, however long you need for your sleep routine. And then you start because we really do consistency needs habits. So then you decide what's going to be in your sleep routine. So some people... So yeah, what are examples of a sleep routine? Yeah, everybody's super different. You know, my mom loves having a bath. I'm not a bath person, so that's not what I do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But turning off all screens is definitely an important one, right? Um, Doing something that is going to calm your nervous system. So I like to lie on the foam roller. I do some deep breathing. I might do some meditation. Doing just turning off the TV, whatever. You could do some yoga. You could do like anything that's going to be your version. So you could take a sleepy time tea. I take some magnesium before I go to bed. You know, if your sleep-wake routines are off, some people swear by melatonin to help with that sleep-wake routine. Circadian rhythms, exactly. So again, it's, you know, figuring out what works for you and and then doing that. Okay. So how much are you sleeping now that you're on this program? Well, I'm really trying, as I said, between sort of seven and nine hours. And it's amazing... You know, it is just amazing the things that I think about now that I maybe used to didn't before. So even my bedroom, all the books on sleep, they think about, they talk about, you know, you have to make sure every, all your lights are out, right? Right. It's quality of sleep you're talking about now. Yes. Okay. 
Oh, I love it. Sometimes you know it's in my brain. <laughs> I know it's in everybody's brain. Go on. <laughs> yeah. So there's a difference between lying in bed and sort of tossing and turning and being like, yeah, I was in bed for eight right. hours. So that's the difference between the sort of quantity and quality. And to get that quality of sleep, that starts with the sleep routine. But it also is then making sure that you actually like to be in your bedroom. So is your bed comfortable? Right. Do you have nice sheets? Do you have no light? Right. Because How about temperature? That's a big one, yes, right? Yes, right. They say there's yes, an ideal sleep you temperature. You want to be cool right? when you're sleeping. Right. You don't want to be Speak to my wife, would you? Because we have issues between the, the different temperatures. She prefers it much warmer, and I can't sleep if it's too warm. Yeah, and that's a really good point, you know, talking to your partner and figuring out a way to make it Oh, no, we've talked. There's no resolution. <laughs> no talking. A, we both play with the thermostat. We, we need one of those beds with two different temperatures mm. on each side. But anyways, I digress. Go we on. digress, yes, relationships. And I think also partly it's just having a self-talk ready because the yep. problem with sleep... Okay, so here's my thing. The reason why I didn't used to get a lot of sleep is I'd finish work and I'd be like, you know, I've had a really long day. I deserve some time to myself. I don't want to sit. Yep. I don't want to listen to an audiobook, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And now what I say to myself is, Kathleen... This sleep is something you are doing for yourself, not to yourself. This is not, you're not five, your mother is not making you sleep. You will be a happier, healthier version of Kathleen tomorrow if you sleep. And it really does connect into, you know, people are frustrated about weight, for example. Well, you are going to be better at saying no to sugar when you sleep. Because one of the things that happens when you sleep is that your hormones rebalance. So your ghrelin hormone, which is the hormone that says like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, that's decreased. And your leptin, which is what says like, you know what, I'm kind of full, it's okay, is increased. So if you feel like you're a bottomless pit of cravings all the time, then you probably need sleep. If you feel like you're constantly getting injured, you probably need sleep because sleep is when your body and your brain recover, right? So if you have a little self-talk ready, then that will help you get to sleep. That's part of what I really find useful is whenever I'm like, no, I'll just watch an episode of Nashville. I'm like, no, Kathleen, you will go to bed because you will have a better run tomorrow. You'll be in a better mood. Your mother, but your that, brother, that, everybody. I mean, that, that puts pressure on you too, though, right? I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, you think yeah. of sleep positively as yeah. opposed to something you... Well, you, that's what works for me, that right. self-talk. So well, you have to find the self-talk well, that for works me, for you. For me, it's you got to stop eating at a certain point before you go to bed. Yes. Alcohol, I think you have to cut off at a certain point because, yes, it may be easier to get to sleep, but I find I have a very restless sleep now. Yes. If, and that if goes I've been to your drinking. quality of the sleep Correct. as well. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, there's a I have a modern version of counting sheep because for me, the moments before sleep are when my, my mind races. Yeah. Um, That's where meditation maybe some deep breathing. Well, I've got I've got another one that I do. I play poker hands in my head. Oh. So you know it's it's akin to counting sheep because mm-hmm. you know it's not a it's not a real activity. Mm-hmm. It's just an imaginary game of poker that I play, which shuts out every other issue that I may be worrying about. So for all of you out there who are fretful thinkers... Play some poker in your head. Play some poker in your head. (laughs) Yeah. The last thing I just want to make sure I touch on is there is a difference between sleepiness and tiredness. So if you feel like you've done all of this, let's say you spend the next six months getting a sleep routine, you're trying to sleep better, and you're no longer maybe sleepy, but you still feel that exhausted feeling, that's when you want to talk to your doctor because that could be a vitamin deficiency. Anemia. Exactly. There's so many things. that It could be depression. Like There's so many things that go into exhaustion exhaustion that's not just sleep. Great. That's great advice. Thank you for coming on the show today. That's My all the time My pleasure we as have. always. We'll be sure to have you back next month, but right now we've got to take a short break and we'll be right back on The Tonic. Getting life insurance for type 2 diabetics can be a confusing and frustrating experience. Many type 2 diabetics buy life insurance products that are either way too expensive or take too long to buy. 
Most type 2 diabetics are surprised how affordable life insurance is. For example, a 55-year-old type 2 diabetic can get $250,000 of life insurance for only $86 a month. Remember, your information and quotes are completely confidential and there's no obligation to buy. So if you're a type 2 diabetic, take your best first step in buying life insurance by going to typetrue.ca. That's T-Y-P-E-T-R-U-E dot C-A. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks, Jamie. So we're on this morning, mid, mid-morning, mid and it may be too late for this particular morning, but we're going to focus all about breakfast and breakfast ideas, Perfect. right? I love breakfast. Me too. And it actually truly is, cliche, cliche, the most important meal it of the really day. It really is. It's not even just that it's so important nutritionally, but it's so important to set yourself up for success for the day. Right. Yeah. To get your mind in the right place. You start with a bad breakfast, you could forget about it for the whole day. Yeah, and it's so easy to do a good breakfast, isn't it? Yes, it really is easy. And also, you know, I hate thinking about things in the morning. I wake up and I want to know what I'm doing every single day. And I'm okay with eating the same thing every single day as long as I don't have to think about it too much. Uh, you know, for, for a number of years when I when I lost my weight, I would literally have oatmeal for breakfast every single morning. It's a great this, breakfast. This went on for six years. Six years of the exact same breakfast. Yeah. I know all about this. For sure. So some people like a warm breakfast and some people like a cold breakfast. Some people okay. want to sit down at a table and some people want to eat on the run. Some people want to have it with a goat or on a boat or on a plane. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. So on the go. So, okay. so what type of breakfast would you recommend for somebody who really doesn't have a lot of time? Okay. So on the go and not a lot of time are sort of one and the same, but not necessarily. Right. So if you don't have a lot of time or you don't want to think in the morning or you're busy with other things like your kids or just rushing off to work, I like to prepare breakfast in advance. For sure. Okay. And I like to make single servings of breakfast. So I'll use mason jars to do this or small containers. Okay. okay, and I'll make yep. my, I'll make about four breakfasts before the week starts. Meal prepping, meal prepping, meal prepping. Yep. Okay, so what I like to do is I'll make oatmeal like you were talking about, but I'll do a baked oatmeal. Baked oatmeal is awesome. Yeah. Naomi makes one a week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, no, we have baked oatmeal all the time. Go ahead. And you. does she make it like in single servings or one batch and put it in bowls? She uh, makes one big serving and then we cut it up in advance. Right. Okay. So it's, it's pre-portioned, but it's made all together. Okay. You're talking about something a little different. No, it though. could be the exact same thing. It's sort of just a matter of presentation almost right. and ease of grabbing in the morning. So how I make my baked oatmeal is I'll make a mixture of and I'll put the my recipe on yep. the website so I won't get into details, but I'll make a mixture of oats, walnuts, baking powder, cinnamon salt, 
uh, some form of a milk. I use almond milk, maple syrup, and an egg. And then I make a wet mixture, sort of like you're making a cake of co- melted coconut oil, vanilla, mashed banana, and frozen berries, coconut flakes. And I will mix all of this together in a big bowl, and then I'll portion it into individual ramekins or individual mason jars. And yep. mason jars are great because they could go in the oven. So I will bake this in the oven, mm-hmm. and I will screw the top on the mason jars, and every morning I will grab one out of the fridge before I jump into the shower, so that by the, by the time I get out of the shower, it's kind of come more onto room temperature. Right. So I just grab it. Sometimes I'll eat it at my desk in the morning, or sometimes I'll eat it in the car, at a red light, of course, and I'll bring a spoon with me, and I have an on-the-go breakfast. Right. And for those who don't like mushy oatmeal, this sort of obviates it. It almost has like a cakey texture totally. to it. Totally. It really does. And you can put stuff like nut butters in if there's no allergies, yeah. and dates yeah. is a fantastic a addition. Great sweetener. So the other thing I love to do, and my kids love this, is I'll make chia puddings, also right. individually. So the ratio for chia pudding, just so you know, is a quarter cup chia seeds with one cup of milk. I, again, use almond milk. And chia seeds, did you know, they are the most nutrient-dense plant-based food on the planet. We do now. Yes, we do now. There's more calcium in chia than in milk, and there's more omega-3 fatty acids than in salmon. Hmm. So chia is really good for you. And it it sort of adds uh, a density to the meal that you're having because yeah. it's got a texture to it. It's sort of like a jelly texture. Yeah, it's almost like a tapioca yeah. type feel to so it. Just to digress for a second, I will make a jam with chia. So you mix chia seeds and blended frozen or defrosted raspberries or strawberries. And you mix those two ingredients together with a little bit of honey if you want it sweeter, and you will get a consistency of a jam, exactly like you would from a jar, no sugar, nothing else in it. No pectin, nothing. It's chia and fruit, and that's it. Wow, that's a good idea. I personally don't need the honey, so it's two ingredients. Yeah. So with respect to the chia pudding, so the ratio, like I said, is a quarter cup chia to one cup almond milk or any kind of milk, and then you can mix anything you want into it. So any flavors, you could put some mashed banana, you could put coconut, you could put nuts into it, you could even put oatmeal into it. So then it's another on-the-go breakfast. That's a great idea. So so that's if you're on the go. What if you have more time, like on the weekend, you want to put something a little special together? What would you recommend? For sure. So I love pancakes and I love waffles. Yep. It's just my guilty pleasure. Yep. Okay, but I have now changed all my flours. So anytime you have a flour, one cup of all-purpose flour is about should be about four and a half ounces. One cup is four and a half ounces just by weight. And what I like to do now is I change my flour. So instead of using all-purpose white, I will change it up to spelt flour. Right. Or even whole wheat, which is not that much better, but it's a you, little bit better. You got to be careful with whole wheat yes. though, because it does change things texturally. And it's fine. I, and, with I, and, this. I fi- and I find. Things can be a little drier. It could be a little bit drier, but what I like to replace, so say I take one cup of flour, I will swap it for other flours plus wheat germ. Right. But I keep the one cup ratio. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I'll change it to rice flour works really nicely as long as you have some other flour in there. And right. it doesn't have to be a glutinous flour. You could use coconut flour. You could even use chickpea flour, which is really nice. That's very typical Italian. And you put a little bit of wheat germ in there to give you some fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so what I'll do is I'll take my pancake mixture, whatever your pancake mixture might be, and I will make tons of pancakes ahead of time. Yep. Let's say I have the time. 
or let's say I'm eating some of the pancakes on the weekend, but I'll make a double or triple batch, and then I will freeze my pancakes with a piece of wax or parchment paper in between each pancake. You have to do that, or they you will stick together. You have to do that, yeah. Or you could flash freeze them in the freezer and then stack them once they're frozen. Right. But it's just as easy to do the parchment or wax paper. And then in the morning, you could put the pancake in the toaster. Exactly. Like the actual toaster. You don't even need a toaster oven. The up and down kind is fine. And I will do this exact mixture with waffles as well. So you can make a big batch of waffles and each morning throw it in the toaster and you've got a great healthy breakfast that has tons of grains in it. Okay. Now I know you have some ideas for alternative types of pancakes. What do you want to tell us about? In terms of alternative types of pancakes, just the changing of the flowers okay. and the addition of other things. You could even add flax, whole flax seed, right. which is really nice. And you could add chia seeds as well. Mm-hmm. And nuts, of course, and you could add berries to them, whatever you like. Or, you know, we have ricotta pancakes, which are nice and Ricotta is great. And you could add cottage cheese to them as well. And the basically, you have to keep the ratio of the flour right and put any additions you want. Works okay. well. Oh, I have one other alternative. Sorry. I have a completely gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan... Actually, sorry, I shouldn't say it's vegan. It could be vegan pancake. What I like to do is I will mix eggs or an egg replacement, which is flaxseed and water, which you could get on the website, and mashed banana. And you stir that up really, really well. It's a very loose mixture. And then you cook that up as you would a pancake. And it takes a little bit longer to cook because there's no flour in it. And then what I like to do is take those pancakes and spread a little bit of nut butter Mm -hmm. or sun nut butter on them, roll them up, and I've got a great breakfast. Sounds fantastic. It really is delicious. Sounds kind of weird, but it's delicious. The other thing I would love to talk about, which I like to make, are muffin tin frittatas. What are those? Okay, those are really good. So you take a bunch of veggies that you like. I like to go simple because I don't want to start cooking my veggies just to make an egg frittata with it. So I use defrosted frozen kale, which Mm -hmm. I really like to use. I mix some other vegetables in there like herbs or like... Green onion, Green onion or tomatoes, yeah. We got to watch tomatoes because they have a lot of water content. They do, but they're fine in here because the water actually makes it softer. Okay. Or you could use sun-dried tomatoes if you like olives. You could use that as well. I don't generally use mushrooms because, again, I don't want to cook the vegetable just to make a frittata. So I'll mix my flavors, and then what I'll do is I'll grease muffin tin, a muffin tin, like a 12-cup muffin tin. I'll put the vegetables at the bottom of the muffin tin, and then I'll make an egg mixture. So it's eggs, salt and pepper, a tiny bit of water or almond or another kind of milk. And then I'll pour the... So for about 12 muffins, you need about eight eggs. Right. Okay? And then I'll pour that over top of the vegetable mixture that's already in the muffin tin. And then I'll bake them for about 25 minutes at 350. Do you finish off on the broiler? Nope. You do not need to. And you don't want to, actually, because they'll get a little bit dry. And, and they actually get nicely golden on the top. Really? Without, yeah. without broiling? Without broiling them. You only need to do the frittata method that you're talking about yeah. when it's actually in a big pan. When they're small little muffin tins, then you don't need to. Okay. Okay. So then what I'll do is I'll take them out of the muffin tin right. and then I'll save a few for the week. So let's say I'll save like six of them. I'll eat two a day because again, it's eight eggs for 12 muffins. Do you, do you keep them in the fridge? Or yeah, the- in the fridge. And in the freezer. So I'll save the rest in the freezer. So I'll actually make 24 of them. And every day I'll pull out two of them and I'll eat them for a snack, breakfast or lunch. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. We'll we'll have you back next month. You can come back? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. And thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. 
For articles written by Joel Thuna and Naomi Bussin, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss healthy cholesterol levels, the connection between your personality characteristics and your sexual health, and the risks of living alone. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.